0: Welcome back to the TowerCast podcast, the towering podcast for the towering filmmaker. We want to thank you for listening in. If you're listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, perhaps you're tuning into our YouTube at Tower Productions, um, and you're looking at this beautiful view, and I'm about to introduce who's in the room right now, but uh, we want to thank you all for joining in first. Uh, I have in the room with me my fellow co-host, John Ericasso. How you guys doing, sir? Hope we're able to dissect your filmmaking mind. (laughs) <laughs> we have Mr. Michael Delao, fellow cinematographer extraordinaire.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: <laughs> uh, we have Austin Young making sure we're sounding great there in the background. Howdy. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, we have an amazing guest for you, you all today, a fellow filmmaker. He's been doing this for quite some time, uh, and and the, his bodywork is amazing. Just to run down some of the films he's done, he's been the cinematographer of films like bulletproof half-baked the water boy scary movie 2 patty jenkins's monster white chicks and Le- a little man just to name a few he's done m- many more than that but i'm pretty certain that you've seen some of his shots because he was a dp on all of these films we have the amazing stephen bernstein joining us today thank you so much for joining us steve
2: my, thank my, you sir my, my, my great pleasure um i'm i'm so glad you've summarized uh, my career you know and uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking hey they're not going to mention white chicks but I've given up on that I mean white we chicks gotta
0: mention them. white we chicks it's man- such a favorite mean, you talked
2: about it so much or why, why is that one kind of well, like it? funny mm-hmm. because you know I, I shot like water for chocolate uh with with Chivo yes, I, I shot absolutely uh, Monster, which I want to talk about Noah you know Bombex early movies um you know the action stuff on SWAT uh, the of Claiborne, uh you know, like 97 movies now uh you know and We have a cinematographer here, so we consider ourselves um, uh, artists, you know, and Mm, and kind of of writers as well. We write visually. Uh, Now that I direct, it informs everything I do as a director. I recognize that sometimes you want a character to speak, and sometimes uh, the most articulate thing they can say is nothing at all. And we simply frame them, push the camera in, and leave it to the audience to work out the enigma of experience where they look into the middle distance. And you learn that as a cinematographer about mm. uh, causing emotion in audience uh, just with with a shot. So you don't think then of comedies as things of high art, but you know, we serve an important cultural uh, value in that particularly during this pandemic, we realized a lot of people were home watching um, their computers and their televisions all day, and they were looking for something essential Uh, Mm. to the living, which is joy. And I realized that with Scary Movie, with Waterboy, with Half-Baked, for all the many stoners out there, for, uh, uh, for, and I got some great stories to that film. Yes, Yes. yes. Um,
0: One of mine and and Castro's favorite stoner comedies, by the way. It's just fantastic.
2: And then then White Chicks. People love, um, you know, White Chicks. Also, (laughs) one of the greatest, I mean, there's some tremendous scenes in there. But the story of how Terry Crews went from hmm. being a bouncer at the comedy store on Sunset right. Boulevard to one of the yes. biggest stars in the world couldn't have happened to a nicer, more decent, more loving person. Sure, but that's what i heard. heard. Incredible, and it happened on that movie. But I can talk about that later. No,
0: yeah, we're gonna get into all of it. I promise you. I I, I was actually right talking to Delano as as a DP. I love that you're gonna dissect some of this for us because yeah. I him and I Delano are always talking about. The visual literacy, even with comedy, I mean, most people aren't paying attention to the visual literacy mm-hmm. in comedy, but it's it's the same as everything, right? It's the timing. It's how you push in on a frame. It's how you pull out of a frame uh, and all of the above. But what we'll get into that in the meantime, because uh, also I, I do want to talk about like Water for Chocolate. It's it's one of my wife's favorite films. Uh, obviously, Chivo is, is a magnificent talent and you got to work with him, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's kick this off at the beginning of your story as a storyteller. Yes. What yeah. what what made you want to become a storyteller? How did this all begin for you? How did this journey kick off for you?
1: Um, in
2: England, um, a very long uh, time ago, um, being trained at uh, the, the BBC um, as a writer-director. Um, I was very interested in theater in particular. I was writing for the theater in the UK But um, the BBC had a very interesting um, philosophy about their equipment, which was they didn't insure it. Uh, So Mm. they would kind of broadly inventory it, but they figured the amount of equipment they would lose each year, it actually cost them less uh, if they simply skipped the insurance policy.
1: So really,
2: it was very interesting, they were fast and loose with the gear. And then along comes this guy, John Roseman, and he has this idea, crazy idea. There's a lot of bands out there that want to get and see what's called A&R guys, A&R guys, Mm. determine whether the record label will will sign them mm. and they can't uh, the nr guys don't have a lot of time it'd be easier if they could look at something like i don't know a video so he had this idea that we set up in soho a, place, a little place on dora street and put up a backdrop bring a band in point a camera at them record it and send it to the record companies oh and from mm. that became music videos pop programs wow and everything followed um, i shot most of the biggest bands in the world. Our budgets went from 28 quid, 28 pounds for an hour to um, like the Duran videos, I think were 1.4 million pounds. Wow. Um, we, uh, I shot hundreds of them. I remember some of them. <laughs> um, what are some of those videos?
0: What are some of those artists? So,
2: Eurythmics, Duran, Bob Geldorf, uh Paul McCartney, Cindy oh. Elder, um, you know, a lot, a lot of music videos. Then went on to work with Ridley Scott. Um, uh, oh, wow. Not doing music videos, uh, commercials. <laughs> uh, and then Tony Kaye uh, doing commercials because uh, England, uh, London in particular, was the epicenter of commercials and music videos uh, in the world at that time. And everybody sure. would come there to uh, get a feature quality uh, product because mm. we had mm. a, a, a great uh, storehouse of uh, talented cinematographers, production designers, directors, um, Ridley started as a designer um, and, wow. uh, and it was a higher quality level because commercials for example in those days would be shot on 35 millimeter and projected at the cinemas so mm-hmm. there was a much higher quality standard sure. so and, and you see also uh, Alan Parker was there uh, who was working along Wardour Street and Dean Street the two big production centers in the center of London and it's like a who's who of who the most important feature film directors were in the late 80s and 90s beginning their careers um, and, and really launching the experiments they would do. Now, that informed everything I did because in those days there there's no such thing as mistakes, only motifs. So we yeah. would experiment with absolutely um, everything. Famously, I, I was getting very bored and self-destructive at one point in my career and I tried everything um, and I just turned to the director and God knows how many nights we'd been up and how we had stayed up but I said, Oh, uh, we got that David Sylvian thing tomorrow. Why don't we shoot it all out of focus? Whoa. And he asked, Whoa. No, 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 I'm serious. If we shoot it out of focus, then maybe we just into focus for a second, then out of focus again. We'll do it with a red backdrop because film can't resolve red, so that will be a sort of uh, soft and, and out, of expo- unexpo- oh, 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 uh, out of focus anyway. And I'll overexpose it, uh, and uh, let's see what happens. Interesting. And by the way, this is on some. This is somebody else's money that we're playing with. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, that's the risky. But they gave yeah. you the, you have the trust, you have their trust. Yeah. You've been be very kind. Um, uh, we didn't deserve their trust and we've been utterly <laughs> irresponsible. Um, uh, but I was so, look, funny when you start doing things and you're successful, there's an instinct mm-hmm. in all of us that says, let's, let's see, if we, let's see if we can destroy this. So uh, <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's just me, but you want to push the limit. So we pushed the limit, So We shot it. And I remember going into Christmas and, uh, uh, all the record executives were there, um, trying to wow. be trendy, which is suits and sort of bangles, and, you know, but, and there's are still record company executives. There, and yeah. the thing ran, and the, the, first the guy turned to the projectionist, "Hey, it's out of focus. See if you can adjust the focus." So the poor projectionist is trying to oh my get God, the thing poor in focus, guy. <laughs> and my camera assistant, whose one job in the world is to keep everything in focus, is sitting there like muttering to himself. <laughs> I mean, right? I, I told him not to do it. Oh, it and the thing finished, and the record company just thought, well, they just dropped like 50,000 uh, quid, 50, And they're, they're uh, dead silence. And David Sylvian the artist, stands up and goes, oh, it's a bloody masterpiece. And wow. the record company then said, it's a masterpiece. It came out. It won every single uh, video award there was. You've and the next take two years, every music video, out of focus. And to oh. this day, people love out of focus. So there's a theme to it, which is, uh, I, I guess, Yeah, visual language, absolutely. Uh, Taking risks, which is uh, essential. And really Mm -hmm. uh, it got me started because you could do so many different things that you became the artist pushing the envelope. So then when uh, big commercials directors were looking for somebody who was cutting edge, who was Mm -hmm. a different look than they had before, Mm -hmm. uh, they looked to me and suddenly I was getting uh, more work than I could handle uh, professionally or, or emotionally. I was the dream say, of every filmmaker. Exactly, right? The dream of every filmmaker. Yeah. Exactly. It's um, really it,
1: it's it's interesting that you came from like the proscenium and that whole world where you're not playing with the frame. You're really playing with all the elements that are there on the stage, the the expressions of the actors, the the right. lighting design. And I, I I studied for a little bit uh like the kind of history that went behind that and how it it developed into this style, but um. Making that transfer to video, did was that just something that felt like it's more flexibility and stuff like that than you were able to get from the theater? Like, did it feel like an, an expansion or a bigger experiment? Or The, the reason why, as
2: artists, we always have to do new things
1: mm-hmm. is it allows us to look at
2: old things in new ways. Mm-hmm. So what I suddenly realized when I was, oh, and oh, the reason, by the way, that I mentioned the BBC, I was borrowing cameras from the BBC on weekends oh, okay. without their permission. Oh, sure. oh no, that's <laughs> why, and that's why John, and that's why John went hired because I, I get the camera, I shoot it, and I had a camera. I don't recommend that to people now, just because you get a, a camera. <laughs> of course, you, is we that know what, you mean we AMC, know what you mean? What comes with every red camera, green DP, which is unfair. But um, you know, the idea is just because you have a camera that makes you a DP. No, as you rightly say, understanding of lighting and presidium, uh, and right. most importantly, language. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I understood as I came out of theater and became into cinematography, was both were working the same way, but using different, but related languages. So all languages is an idea, and then the symbolic representation of that idea. As I speak, you understand me because we mutually speak English, but what is English? It's just a series of plosives and sounds that um, we have learned to agree are a code to recognize an idea. Well, what right. is an asymmetrical composition in a frame? It doesn't specifically represent an idea, but it creates a feeling in an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a high angle shot? What is a, a camera that right. pushes in? If I have a, a high emotional moment, the camera slowly pushes forward, the audience feels the emotion building. Absolutely. If you ask them why that is, they couldn't tell you, but it's a code that has a direct conditioned response. So right. everything we do in film is a language. The composition is a language, live is a language, the scripts of language, those silences, when a, a, an actress is looking in the middle the distance yeah. language. And I began to realize common to all these things is how we encode language. And so Absolutely. I said, hey, I'll use the camera, I'll use actors, I'll use hmm. writing, I'll use lighting, I'll use production design, and we'll create this um, complex web of ideas, some of which the audience will get, will be ostensible and obvious, and some will be subtle and nuanced, some will be uh, to affect the unconscious mind. Yeah. Um, some will be draw on the history of painting, some on the history of literature, but all different ways of getting to the audience. It's not just storytelling. The big mistake because of this all pervasive idea that everything's about the script and the three act play and all right. these right. script right. gurus and these books and the, the books save, the, that. save the cat, which has a tremendous function if it's a cold night and you need to start a fire um the, the uh, oh,
1: oh, oh. <laughs> okay okay
2: no, no 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 i got it i got uh, what you it could be reading something wow oh <laughs> <laughs> but, um the idea that, that there's a, a one way to write a script is sure. mad and what happened oh no no yeah. When everybody writes the script the same way you right. say to an audience watching a movie into 10 minutes hey do you know how the film's going to end and even Audiences who know nothing about film know how the film's going to end, usually in the first 10 minutes, because they've seen that same form be used over and over again. If we're not experimenting with form, we're not making movies. Somebody yeah, these guys, somebody.
0: these guys, and my wife to include my wife get mad at me because after the first act, I already know, I already know what. And and when you don't take that that direction, you you surprise me and you impress me and you draw yeah. me in, and that's kind of the point, right? But before diving into your into your filmography a little deeper, I, I, I love to ask this question to cinematographers, especially cinematographers who have been doing this a while. Um, given your your the way your brain works, the way you've been describing it to us. What was your experience for going from shooting on celluloid to shooting digital? Was did that make any impact on you compared to emotion? You know,
2: oh, it was it was huge because again, right, let's go back to my concept that everything is is, is a code is a code to the audience, mm-hmm. right? So when the early video cameras came out, there was a code being passed along and reminded us as we looked at something, there was a subconscious message passing, and we looked at it and we said, oh, this looks like a news video, so mm-hmm. or it looks like a security camera. Or it looks like um, something, but it doesn't look painterly and and fictive. It doesn't seem like an imagined world. It seems like the ordinary world, like we see on the local news. So suddenly, the dreamlike quality of film was inviscerated, and the uh, pseudo documentary sort of effect sort of kicked in. And it would be appropriate for some things. Um, Chris Marker and a few others did some remarkable films that would suggest the encoding of documentary. And by the way, the encoding of documentary is not documentary. When we see a handheld camera, we say, oh, it's real. Well, in point of fact, the way we experience the world is the world bouncing around. What we do experience is news cameras bouncing around in, um, you know, like uh, uh, war zones. So right. we say, oh, hang on, that's real. No, field, it's like right. our experience of a camera shooting something that's real. Right? <laughs> but we right. accept that code, so we do a handheld camera. It seems object reality, but of course it's not. So that was my first experience of video, and then gradually, as the color science was improved, particularly with the the finally the Arri Alexa. I mean, the Genesis right. Panavision got there, but uh, the, the, the Panavision Genesis nearly got there, but the Alexa really nailed it. And now uh, Roger Deakins and, and others, including myself, finally said, yeah, yeah, this is beginning to uh, look, not like the real world, but more painterly, uh, mm-hmm. the way film uh, mediates the world. And we find it more uh, you know, satisfying ultimately. So sure. I... uh, now there's other things that change, of course, you know, we shoot a lot more right. footage, so we have more flexibility. Um, we feel less confined by financial limits. But uh, when I do a test and put 35 up next to even contemporary digital cameras, I promise you, sadly, film still looks infinitely better.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I remember I remember Steven Soderbergh saying something along the lines of like, it, when the Ari Alexa and the red and all these cameras kind of started perfecting the color science, he said, when these cameras came out, I started feeling like I could send the film camera to the retirement home without feeling bad. Like you could kind of start <laughs> feeling that. And, and that was obviously his perspective. I'm on the same, you know, juncture if i could shoot on film i would you know it's it's just a a preference thing at that point with the emulsion but um i i think it's great that you look at it as just another tool because that really is what it is at the end of the day to to communicate that visual
2: language as you're saying that those codes as a as a director it's a huge help to me because um i tend to do you know i I write my scripts they tend to be uh, i do a lot of writing my first draft usually 400 pages long and then i encourage a lot of improvisation Uh, And because of my background in theater and because the way I write, um, uh, actors are drawn to me. So look, I got Mm. uh, Helen Hunt, Samantha Morton, Aaron Paul, Paul, uh, Rodrigo Contoro, John Malkovich, Risa Fonz, Tony Hale. Uh, You know, I get good actors because they're turned on by the writing and uh, the atmosphere we create on set, which is, okay, uh, I want to do some improv to run up to the scene. So you get a feel for it. Then I'll put the camera on my shoulder because I know a lot about cinematography. Uh, like on Monster, I'll float the lights to move with the subject. Yeah. So you can go where you want, say which one. If you want to alter a line, alter it. I'm looking for a truth. So for actors, that's the turn If I did that on film, every <laughs> kind of film I would do would go over budget by a million. This way I can right. do it, facilitate the acting I want to get, the yes. style I want to get, because Mike Lee might be, was my great mentor, uh, and still uh, achieve um, you know uh, the truth that was in the original script, great performances, and not break the budget. Sure. Now was it ah, uh, what was your first love, the acting
0: or the writing? I'm I'm thinking the writing because towards the end you got into acting, or towards. the middle? Um.
2: Well, the the for me, uh, look, I've always loved actors because um, that's where I really began was was in theater um as a mm-hmm. bad actor but a, a fairly good theater <laughs> director and I, I love right I, I, I love actors um I love the process of acting and I love the journey of um taking a script and trying to find. The truth of the human condition. Um, I, I believe that every film is a mystery, but it's not a mystery of suspense. It's not a mystery of whether this Marvel hero is going to be able to triumph over you know this robot or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's the mystery of character. Right. When I see a character at the beginning of a film or in the first act, that and I don't understand their behavior they're doing something in, 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 uh, that's eccentric or inconsistent with uh, my experience of humans. I am compelled to find out who they are. Right. Um, and that's why I don't think scripts should begin with an outline because then writers tend to provide single motivations for characters.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. I think characters are very complicated and when they have multiple motivations, that's the mystery that has to be unraveled over the course of the film. You create a film with compelling, complex, mysterious characters, and you have a mystery film that engages uh, audience. Thus is
0: the, sorry, no, just thus is the human condition, right? About humans not constantly thinking of one thing and one goal and Mm -hmm. one motivation. We have a million things going through our minds and a million motivations in in certain degrees. So to focus on some of those motivations uh, is human, (laughs) to say the least.
2: Yeah, I, I, I say to my writing students, and my say, Okay, I know you all read these books about plot and things, and so three acts. So please tell me the plot of the next two years of your life. I wonder, <laughs> the third act is the second year and the first act. And they go, we, we, we don't know. We know what our intentions are at this point, our aspirations. Say, yeah, but what if you fall in love with someone? What about all the other things you're thinking about while you're you know, doing that through line? You're thinking about your relationships, your work. Uh, your your appearance, your health, your parents, uh, your memories, your imaginations. So the idea that you're acting as a single motivation scene is the ultimate contrivance. And when something's contrived, you disengage uh, audience. So to your question, um, writing is my first and most important love because it's what people generally regard that I do best, despite the the success I've had as cinematographer. But the writing is the beginning of the journey for the actor. I then love to engage with complex uh, intelligences and sensibilities of my acting colleagues and see what they discover from my writing as we go on that journey to discover the bigger truth that neither one of us were aware of it's a mystery when we begin a film to discover character just like it's a mystery for audience
0: (sighs) absolutely i i I think that's beautiful well said and i think we can deep dive a little bit into that uh i want to start personally with um water for chocolate this was a a very interesting Primarily, yes, of course, you worked with Chivo and all this stuff. But it, it just to be a co DP period. It doesn't matter who it's with. Yeah, um, is it must be a challenging thing to be a co DP, and for somebody like Chivo, who we all know his filmography. And this is early Chivo. This is Chivo before most. You know, this is, working this is before with... early Chivo. This was no Chivo.
1: <laughs> this was no Chivo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There, um, is, what was is, uh, that
0: experience like to work with Alfonso Arau and and working with Chivo and just that whole journey? Because it's a terrific film and there's a source material that you have to be true to because fans of the book love the book and you have to be true to the source material. So what was that experience like for you? And you can't be humble in this podcast. You kind of just, you know, <laughs> yeah. what was it like?
2: Wow, this is uh, complex politics. So um, <laughs> let me um, do what I do, which is speak the truth. Um, all right would right. never shot a film before um when he mm. came to do that he was just out of film school oh, okay um he was shooting the film first and um alfonso and chivo had some creative differences mm. uh, <laughs> not chivo's fault particularly in that alfonso was who uh, was married to laura Astiville who wrote the book of course sure um, had uh, was was carrying this on the force of his character and will. And Alfonso was a larger-than-life character. Um, yeah. In other words, he was lying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, for example, I shot for three weeks, and each we were sending the film back to El Paso yeah. for for processing. Yeah, sorry, San Antonio. And um, I would say to Alfonso, uh, Alfonso, are we getting dailies? No, we can't afford to get dailies. But they're looking at them there at the lab. Um, and I sp- I'll speak to them on your behalf. I said, there was only one phone in California at the time, and it was a pay phone, and, uh, you know, uh, he was in charge of making the calls. Next day, he came to me, and he said, my little gringo friend, he said, I spoke to the lab. The dailies are fantastic. You are a genius, and he kissed me on both cheeks. Next oh, day, wow. how were they? Even better. He said, the guy at the lab was crying. They were so beautiful. It's really? like a painting. And on and on it went for about five weeks. Then we had finally a day off. And uh, I made two phone calls. First to Chivo, saying, Chivo, hey, because I came in, because Chivo left production uh, because they kept running out of money. They had no money. They weren't paying. They were arguing. um, Mm. And Chivo said, enough. And off he went. And they were going to shut down. And my friend, Gabriel Beristain, another great DP, um, was approached by Alfonso. And Gabby was shooting blood in, blood out at the time in Los Angeles. He said... And And he said, um, no, but I know a great DP in the UK named Steve Bernstein. um, He might be willing to come over. And Alfonso, how many more weeks did he shooting? Oh, we could finish it in in two weeks. Uh, Seven months later, (laughs) I was was still shooting.
1: Oh, my Uh, gosh. So,
2: um, and uh, I I finally went to a small town and I found a phone. And I said, you know what, I'm going to phone the lab. On a Saturday, what's the chance of being open? And I got the lab. I said, hey, I'm Steve Bernstein. I said, I'm sorry. Who are you? Said, I'm the cinematographer on Kumakwa. He goes, Oh, I hear the dailies are okay. And he goes, I don't know who would know that. I would say, Why? He said, Well, we haven't processed anything because we haven't been paid.
0: No. Oh, no. Oh, no. What did you say to what? did? I bet you the next phone call was to. <laughs> Alfonso no, at
2: this point no, where, or, I mean I, 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 I'm thinking you guys probably have a big listenership. This is going to get back to Alfonso, and what am I doing <laughs> telling the story? So no, you no. may have to you think about editing that out. You, I'll leave it in your hands, but Alfonso, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be, Alfonso could be happy. Now let me say this: had Alfonso not done that, had Alfonso not um, look, we kept running out of film stock. Now uh-huh. remember, when you mix film stocks, they don't mix. Right. So I shot uh, one scene where we started shooting with Agfa we ran out of Agfa. We then shot for two days with, with, uh, with Fuji, um, and then ran out of Fuji. And then we got some out of date, a uh, partially flashed Kodak, and mixed them all together. I'm at a film festival in uh, the north of France, and uh, a film critic comes up to me and says to me, uh, I think maybe uh, you are a bit of a genius. And I said, why? He said, you know that scene, that dinner scene, he said, The way you change the grain and the colors on the skin oh my god (laughs) don't you love that remember what i look for music videos no mistakes only motifs exactly exactly exactly. there's there's
1: there's something kind of beautiful in the sense that i think when you're doing it all and putting it all together you might be going through your own internal stresses or of thinking uh we're gonna have to find some kind of workaround but when the audience gets their hand and they're a kind of audience that's able to appreciate film and look at film yeah. with the, the way we look at film and its literacy. And they only see, like you said, motifs and they only see these creative stylings. I think that's that's such a rewarding yeah. feeling. I, I'd love well, to. I, sorry, yeah, no, go, ahead, I just,
2: go ahead. Just to say with Chivo, sorry, I finally got to look at the dailies. So they hadn't shown me his dailies. Uh, and you know, when we got two cinematographers, you got to match it. Uh, and I thought this kid coming out of film school, you know, what could he possibly know? And even then, uh, you could see uh, the genius. I mean, his bold. Like, I'm a great believer in taking huge risks. Yes. When you're doing a little independent film, uh, you light simply with the lights you have available. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Chivo was taking um, uh, par lights. These these sort of very specular, powerful light sources, oh, yeah. bouncing them off huge uh, reflectors, bringing them back through the window through a diffusion medium. So super soft. Only lighting from the windows. Nothing interior. Bold, beautiful. Painterly, um, elegant uh, uh, choices. So uh-huh. um, you know it was it was it was very interesting uh, to see, and then also to see his very rapid development of uh, you know after that psychologically it was very hard because I was the more experienced DP. Uh, he went to LA when the film came out. I was in England. I arrived and I said, "Hey, I was uh, I, I shot you know more than half of this film." Uh, they said, no, "No, we've met the cinematographer," and um, wow. so there was that, and then. You know, th- there was a reconciliation because, you know, I went on to direct and write and write books and so on. She was had a fantastic career he's had. Right, right. Um, we're, we're different people. I think he's a genius. He's a good human being. Um, and we're friends now. But uh, it, it's a strange thing about the proprietorship of pieces of art. Ultimately, who made uh, like Water for Chocolate? We all did
0: sure absolutely that's, beautiful?
2: that's that's kind of the, the
0: end goal right and i mean and that was my next question have you bumped into him since and have you guys you know kind of caught up and is there's been oh,
2: anniversary you've... celebrations of the film obviously right so i'm right, sure no, 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 he's he's a great human being we, we bumped into i was nominated for uh outstanding cinematography on um magic city uh for the oh, asc yeah. the yeah. same year he was nominated for i can't remember what the film was so you Know we were on the nominees table together, and
0: awesome. uh, he was
2: elegant and charming and nice. And uh, he's he's good, he's good people. Um, yeah. you know, awesome. Uh, uh, it's it's tough uh, when you have cinematography as an ego driven job. We have two cinematographers on the same exactly, film. I was gonna um, see that, yeah. it's uh, it's difficult. And then I would go crazy later because people would say, Oh, well, surely you work with Chiba, you didn't do much on that film. And yeah, yeah, but Chivo wasn't Chivo. He was just yeah, a yeah. yeah I sure sure understand, understand what you're saying. Yeah. That's the reason you know. see
0: the law. You have to get some ego, a little more ego, to
2: just I, I accept that he became a genius later. I don't know if he's a genius then, but he might say that he was. And I, I I'm not going to disagree with him. Maybe a great. There's so many great <laughs> stories on that film. We were uh, uh, Alfonso was mad as a hatter, and I loved the guy. But we oh. had to do a scene at the end of the film where um, uh, Lumi, um, uh, you know, a molts with her lover. Uh, yeah. and we shot in a barn and I was uh, we were climbing on a rafter above and uh, I was looking down and there was straw there and I thought it was gonna be a controlled fire with flame bars, but Alfonso had other ideas and just got the the hay going and the hay just took off and thing, we had a fire.
1: Whoa. And I was on a
2: beam overhead um, <laughs> no and way. with this heavy, old, airy BL, a heavy, heavy camera. And there was a, a very ambitious young stills photographer was between me and the ladder so i'm looking at the fire i'm looking at the stills photographer and i'm looking at him and he feels this, this looks great this fire i've got to get these stills and of course i get the stills but then you know we would die so um <laughs> not I, thinking I, about I, it. i'm not inclined to violence but i i, I pushed him out of the way Smart. i kept the camera on my shoulder i ran down the ladder you kept the camera on <laughs> i can of course i'm a cinematographer and then the uh, <laughs> And and, uh, uh, you know, Alfonso promised he was. He had a fire department waiting outside. It was an old local woman with a broom. No, no, (laughs) no, no, no. it was the fire. We got, we got. Oh. So he told me this, so, and I, so, I, I was so angry, I chased him all the way down the Rio Bravo. I feel you. I was <laughs> the same I way. I, I think I was going to kill him.
0: So you're, 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 never you're, told you're these dealing with...
2: I, you're going to get me in so much trouble, you guys. don't know. It's a good <laughs>
0: story at the end. I'm sure you had. Now, you, had, no, you yeah. haven't said anything negative towards production or anything. You've just, these are stories as an photographer that um, that, that you're encountering. Yeah, not on not set, only that, right? but, but I'm, I bet that you're in your mind, not only are you saying, yes, my life is at risk <laughs> for this fire, but... I think even more as a cinematographer, you're like, I have one take, so I better get this right for yeah, this particular.
2: No, no the number of <laughs> crazy things like I, I, we've done car stuff. I remember being on with Mike, the famous Mike Ferris, who was the camera operator yeah. on uh, Blue Thunder and, uh, you know, I mean, huge movies, um, uh, Die Hard. I mean, he was my cinematographer. He was my camera operator for years and one of the biggest camera operators in the world. And um, we had a three camera rig on the front of a car, with two cars coming towards and the idea was they're gonna split. Oh no, that's not good. We kept saying this isn't safe and we don't feel comfortable and production was pushing us really hard. It was a night sequence. So we shot it, we did like three takes and it looked fantastic. And then we said, okay, now we'll do the reverse with uh, you know the, the cars going towards it, the wide shot and with no cameras on it. So you see the two shots heading towards the one car, but now it's a wide, so the audience can see what the action's gonna be. Yeah. And then up to our shot that was on the front of the car, as Whoa. the two cars are splitting. So now they're doing the wide, and the two cars go to, to, to split around the one car that's going you know straight towards them, right? right. So the two cars heading towards one car. The two cars hit each other the back bumper, uh, and their front ends swing around, and they hit that car head on. No. So had they done that on the previous take, when we still had the cameras, uh, Osval in the front, we'd be dead. So
1: yeah. oh I'm gosh. usually so
2: safety obsessed and film sets are such dangerous places, but what right. you said was right. You get so excited about getting a shot, yeah. you lose track of the bigger reality that right. first thing could <laughs> say. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I think that's indie filmmakers, we know that more than anything. I, I promise you that. Um I, I want to be respectful of your time, Stephen. So I, I want to move oh, on a little bit to, I to too much. I'm sorry. sorry, sorry. No, 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 oh, no. This great. is you're all great. fantastic. Yeah, if anything, are awesome, if anything, you're you got us, man. If anything, we're worried about your time. So I just want to talk about bulletproof. That's kind of one of yes. the, the next bigger ones. Um, and it's, from my understanding, the first time you're working with one of the Waynes, but you also get to work with Adam Sandler and Jimmy Kahn, which obviously James Kahn is, is a legend, right? So, um, but it's it's a little bit different, obviously different from from like Water for Chocolate, just an emotion and it's a comedy, but it's an action comedy. As a cinematographer, what was that that experience like on yeah, both? It was,
2: well, it was the ultimate, because look, I've done so many commercials and music videos and did some films in, in the UK as well. Uh, the Secretary, not the, the Secretary, but a different one. Um, and um, some films in Ireland and a lot of television. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I put a reel together, I came to uh, the US and the guy who was directing the film was Ernest Dickerson. and Ernest Dickerson was Spike Lee's cinematographer. Yeah, one of his first jobs directing. So um, he really liked my reel and he really liked the fact that I knew cinema history. And no one knows more about student history than Ernest Dickerson. So rather than 10-minute meeting that we had scheduled, I think he and I sat and talked for about two hours about Hitchcock, about uh, uh, Nicholas Ray, about um, uh, a film called Sunrise, one of the last great black and white films. And he was sold and I was sold, and we decided to do this film together. And great action sequences, one where we created a a whole fog bank in a forest for a chase sequence. Great shootouts and great friendships, which have lasted a lifetime. The Wayans uh, and I are like family now. Uh, Adam and, and I did films together, remained friends. Jimmy Conn, did three movies with him, well two movies and he came on to do. Um, I worked on Magic City uh, and as a friend. Um, and it was a studio film uh, with uh, Bob Simons and uh, Iris Schumann, who are the big producers there, and okay. made Universal love me. So it was really the beginning of my studio career. At the same time, I just shot Noah Baumbach's first movie, Kicking and Screaming. Um. So I had this these two parallel paths going: major independence yeah. and a big studio uh, action film. So life was good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Noah yeah, was- Noah's just uh, has become an amazing filmmaker. naturally, the last thing I think I saw of his was Marriage Story. And he's just him and his wife both. Greta obviously is a fantastic filmmaker, and. Um, that's amazing right. that you got to work with him in those early stages. That's that's a story right there in and of itself. Yeah, but yeah. For, for, this,
2: first time on a film set for Noah, I think. So it was, look, I worked with a lot of first Patty's first Patty, time a Patty first Patty director was with, with oh, Patty Jenkins on, on Monster. And uh, we had no money on that, a lot of handhelding again, handhelding. And we, um, uh, we, we managed to pull that off. Uh, John Favreau, I did two pilots with him, I think the first time he directed
1: as well. So I've
2: been very lucky in working with really good directors who went on to uh, major successes, become major successes. um,
1: With things like working with a lot of new directors or um, new people on set, being somebody like an experienced cinematographer, are you somebody who wants to command more and kind of help them out in the different processes, you know, the writing directing side, or is it something that you just compensate or help out in, in just the camera and stay within your field? A struggle no I'm a, I'm a uh, look
2: I, I respect that uh, ultimately the director has got to have the ultimate decision you only have mm-hmm. one director on a set yeah. but I am uh, I've been a teacher uh, you know since the beginning so I wrote the book mm-hmm. film production which is the biggest selling textbook about film yes. in so mm-hmm. in every every film school I used to teach uh, in England um, uh, and I'm a nurturing person by nature so uh, I enjoy um, speaking to directors about the different variables um that are available to them be it uh, mm. camera movement or composition or lighting or uh different choices about our coverage um so I, but rather than imposing my will on them i serve up um the choices that they
1: uh, okay. okay
2: so i can say hey we could do this and this is this impact i don't do any of the cheap uh, dp tricks which is saying well, if you want to do that shot, it's gonna take four hours, yeah. Knowing that the producer would never allow it. I always yeah, say no, no, no. this'll be harder. You want to do it all in one. if you do it all in one, it actually takes longer to do a sequence all in one because it's so complicated than is to break it up. If you want to hurry, this yeah. is great examples yeah. on Monster. Um, we uh, it was very ambitious and we are low budget, high humidity, Ooh. and we found ourselves with um uh, the, the the obstacle of needing to do about 40 setups a day for two days Wow! and it seemed That's, impossible and, and the yeah. AD said, it's not gonna happen. Everyone said, well, you gotta cut it back. And Patty was, was a very powerful, wonderful, wonderful human being. My fa- one of my favorite people in the industry said, I really need these. I said, all right, I've got an idea. Uh, we'll handhold everything from here on in. Hmm. I'll take the key light and we'll put it on, in a paper lantern on a fishbowl I'll take the fill light and put that on a paper land on the fishbowl. I'll have a, uh, a, a walkie talkie that connects me to the electricians who are holding those lights. Okay. And I will, will pull up all the marks so there's no marks. And Charlize and Christine can go wherever they want because that's gonna facilitate performance. Mm-hmm. And we can yep. shoot at the speed of light because we never have to uh, set up a camera.
1: And then what? put everybody on roller skates, so you'll, oh. you're just even faster, right? So you're just <laughs> zooming around. No, it worked.
2: Well, don't forget there was a big roller skating sequence in that yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's we, right. and we did do that. And we did um, 67 setups the first day. No way. And um, we did 49 the second day, uh, and then we kept going that way. And then um, we just got so much material and um, Charlize just got more and more relaxed, got better and better. Mm-hmm. Now we had these organic, where I would look for the shot uh, and Patty would be right behind me saying, go to the left, Yo, look at this, get those, get that out. And so it was this wonderful flowing collaboration. That's wonderful. As a result of a DP working with a director, feeding her ideas, her feeding me stuff back, and us creating this film that, hey, it won the Oscar (laughs) yeah Yeah, I
0: mean it had the bones it had the bones of an indie film but it it went on to garner this amazing amazing acclaim and you had I mean obviously the great Charlie Stern and 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 Christina Richie and Bruce Stern and all these amazing actors to 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 work with um but Patty I mean a lot of these attributes uh, as far as shooting goes I'm sure obviously she she was able to sit with you and say these are the shots I want and these are the camera movements I want but then that started becoming her style, and in, inserting certain <laughs> right, In certain. That glimpse, and
2: uh, look, P- Patty is uh, brilliant. She was nice. I would say that she was um, prescriptive about what shots she wanted. Uh, okay. Um, Patty uh, uh, had a v- was very focused on performance. Sure. At the end of every take, Patty would rush to Charlize and then give notes. Uh, um. what Patty was great at, and remains great at. First of all, she's, in terms of emotional intelligence, she's su- su- tremendous at assessing other individuals and guiding and leading them. She's got great wow. leadership qualities. She's also very good at looking at other people's work and saying, yes, that's good. No, that's not good. Yes, that will work. No, it won't work. So I don't want to make it sound like Patty is going around dictating to everybody what they should do. No. Instead, she, she, knew. Pro- that's more- she provides the broad strokes sure. and then she, she knows what the emotional, her emotional tension is for the audience. And then we'll say, okay, this is what I want know, what do you suggest, how can we achieve it? And then we present things to her and she goes, yes, that works and that doesn't work. So I just want to make sure that uh, that we don't get the impression that she's a martinet telling everyone how to do their job. Oh, yeah. Rather no, she's a facilitator of people and then judges how they do their work and whether it fits into her bigger emotional vision. I don't think she always comes up with a specific technical uh, uh, vision, I don't think any director does Uh, there's got to be a fluidity when you're shooting and she has that fluidity
0: that's what the cinematographer is there for right i mean the director gets to dictate a little bit more of the emotions and and if you like me yes i know i know what compositions i want in terms of shots and and how to frame my shots but I highly depend on my DP and the law knows is to, especially when it comes to lighting and, and how we're going to reflect light in certain areas and certain situations. Yeah. But I, I want to also add that I think Patty is, is fantastic. I, 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 love her work and obviously she's now doing these amazing, great wonder woman, oh, yeah. big films, but, um, but I think she's highly talented and, um, and very, you're able and, to discern great, her work. And,
2: and just a great yeah. person. I mean, yeah. One of the things I talk about to a lot of people is leadership. And one of the things that a, a director has to be is a leader of people and require unique qualities. And John Favreau and uh, Patty and Keenan, sure. uh, all these people have something in common. They are very good at facilitating others, getting what they want mm-hmm. while facilitating the people who work with them.
0: Absolutely. I got to say, as
2: working with Carlos, he, he's pretty good at that. Um, Learning, but he's pretty good at that.
0: (laughs) Learning, learning. Um, Let's talk about Half-Baked. You told us you have stories for us from Half-Baked. Um, it's. It's. I know we're we're switching gears, but I. I. You have such a great filmography that. I. Of course, we want to hear about the monsters, but we got to hear about some of our personal favorites. you Got to be a little selfish, right? some um, you might
2: want to get the films I directed as well, because oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Hey, absolutely, absolutely. It's like, like, Cody, it's like yeah, talking about your last girlfriend, but the, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, um, I understand
1: with, that yeah. with your
2: wife, you know. Oh, my last girlfriend, she was fantastic. Yeah, You're yeah, great yeah. too, but hey, I absolutely but just so you know. Um, the, uh, or last boyfriend, I should say, uh, whatever, or last partner. Um, so yeah, half-baked, uh, we shot in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. it was very low budget. The expectations- how many days have
1: I, if I, if I could ask that? Cause it seems like you could have done it, but I don't know how.
2: Well, the, there were the, ta- there are tax credits in Canada. Ultimately producers mm-hmm. go with those tax credits. Mm-hmm. And in those days there was a, there still is a massive tax credit in Canada. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to shoot up there. Um, and the main reason, and, the way Bob Simons would work is he would maximize what we call debt finance. He would do the films as cheaply as possible to maximize mm-hmm. profitability. The first really big budget film they did was Waterboy, and that was like 30 million and was considered a huge mm-hmm. risk. And I remember. What did you
0: shoot first? Would you shoot Half Baked first or Waterboy first?
2: Waterboy, I think.
0: Good question. they're the same year. They were released the I, same year, I think. Year,
2: oh. I think, I think, I think uh, Waterboy. Which yeah, ended push. up making a no. It was the other way around. I think it was half baked first. It was half baked. Okay, okay, okay. And then Waterboy of course, made a billion dollars. It's with a B. Right. No. So it um, yeah, it was the highest grossing comedy of all time at that time. Not what they expected. Same thing with Half Baked. No one thought there was going to be anything important. Yeah. It became this huge, uh, this this huge. It's yeah. well, called classic.
1: It's called classic. Yeah. What sure. was
2: great uh, about that film was again I learned something, which is when you have treasures. Uh, don't let your vision get in the way of the treasures that are in front of you. So, uh, Dave Chappelle, of all my friends in the industry, probably the greatest improviser of comedy. Yes,
1: oh. uh, a master.
2: You know, we'd go to the comedy stores in Toronto, and he'd say, "I think I'm going to do a set," and he's he'd turn to me. It's a person which I talk about it. You no, know? and so you <laughs> take a word from each person, go up, and create a set on the spot just basically really he
1: pops up and he takes other people's sets because dave chapelle so they let him go this this Um, is the power that
2: uh, he's he's incredible and a great human being and then we had um you know sarah silverman's sister we had uh, john stewart we had uh uh, willie um uh what am i forgetting willie's name well um country western singer what's his name willie nelson willie nelson willie nelson Nelson. Nelson. yeah that's true yeah um we had snoop um yeah, it yeah was, for that one see it how was, was jim brewer jim brewer and it was an arctic and uh, again what we learned was uh when you've got something great going on mm-hmm. let the energy guide you don't try mm-hmm. to impose your vision on uh, something that may be better than your vision
1: oh, so wow. um really we
2: that. let things ride and Sometimes it was crazy, and we say, where is this thing going? <laughs> and it would just then be a magic. Jim Brewer uh, punching the horse and things. I mean, it yes. was...
1: You kind of let him free. Was, but what was, I
0: think is is also great is is we, we I mean, you, you were in the presence of what we know as comedy greatness, and we didn't even know that that duo would come to a certain end, was, was Dave Chappelle and Neil Brennan. They wrote the film together, and I'm sure, I'm assuming Neil was on set, and maybe he had a, a little bit of... Neil was
2: on set every day, and uh, okay. Neil, Neil's a great friend, as is Dave, and um, uh, Neil was now doing stand-up too, so... Yeah. Um, they're, they're very, very gifted, and they're great guys, and they had a great uh, uh, dynamic uh, between them. You know, it's the same, by the way, you mentioned Charlize, who was a great Charlize Theron. Charlize yeah. was not known as a great actress when she did Monster.
1: It was, uh, sure. it was, it was after great, that.
2: She be, was regarded as, as a That's great, when she, great actress. Yeah. So it's very interesting how many uh, actors, again, that I've worked with who were almost unknown. Um, Chloe Moretz. Uh, ah, yeah, film, yeah. Uh, of course. and she was eleven years old and just we just presume she disappeared in the anonymity of so many children child actresses. But she blew uh, up and uh, she grew up and she's a great great <laughs> actress. So yeah. um and the same thing with uh what happened in, in Canada. You don't always know the magic. And going back to um, you know what happened on White Chicks, I will let you guide us there. No, but, yeah, oh, yeah. You perfect,
1: know, you perfect. Realize perfect.
2: that nobody anticipated um what was gonna happen on the film, but I'll I'll let you lead in
0: no, oh, yeah. I mean, I, just to kind of tie a bow on Half Baked, I think it's a great comedy that I grew up on. Castro certainly and I, we're always quoting the film in one day or another <laughs> on set. We just love it. And it's, it's Dave Chappelle <laughs> is is resurfacing it, obviously, and, and yeah, doing amazing at, at resurfacing in his career as a stand up, primarily. But he's also, you see his work in, um, in The in Star is Born, and he's also a fantastic
2: dr- drama actor, dramatic actor. Uh, it's uh, just. He, he's, I, he's, he's such a smart guy um, yeah. and such a good, good actor and good person uh, uh just remark
0: absolutely uh, so so yeah i i know again we're talking about exes once again right but but your relationship with the waynes has to be touched on um and and what's interesting is that white chicks obviously was a massive hit but the waynes were the waynes since you know the late 80s and the 90s and through comedy and throughout film right obviously um but we see white chicks as the thing that's that even they don't want to talk about anymore because they've yeah, talked to everybody the asks to them all the time but uh, uh they obviously have split up and done great things individually obviously marlin is very active right now um but you got to see all of them together in one place uh, yeah, I, directing. I, 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 would, I
2: would say they're a very very close family which is one of the wonderful yeah. things about being around them is that you if you're accepted, you become part of that family. We did, the first work we did together was on Scary Movie Two, yeah, um, and then White Chicks and Little Man, and I worked with Damon, of course, on, on Bulletproof, and then we did Behind the Smile with the Damon, did commercials with Kenan. Uh, I, I love them. They are a family. Um, they treat me and my son with such great respect and love. Uh, and I and I've learned as much about directing from Kenan as I've learned from anyone because. Wow and I would oh, really? have long conversations about the philosophy of filmmaking and how it works. And really? he would talk to me about things like specific audience, being having an audience in mind, when directing a sequence. Um, he was very audio centri- audience centric in that yeah. um, a thing would only work, it would work for the audience. Yeah. He was interested yeah. in character, but he was interested in most of all, was it going to work ultimately in the theater? He also taught me about um, having uh, views that were particular to the success of the film and not to do with your own ego it's very buddhist-like and that to be the best director you have to mm. free yourself of your ego so he would say this to cast all the time to i remember to one actress on scary movie who was embarrassed by something he was doing he said you've got to be free to be great mm. and that was so brilliant of keenan to understand in comedy that uh so much of good comic performance is prevented by the fear of embarrassment of an actor trying to reveal that they're really an actor and won't push the thing as far as it needs to go. He would also talk about extreme, that um, Mm -hmm. if something is funny in one level, it's even funnier when you push it one level further, (laughs) but funnier still when you don't leave it. So staying in a sequence when a sequence is naturally over and still milking it gets many more laughs for the audience like going, no, you're not still gonna go there, are you? (laughs) Um, And it's uh, remarkable. It seems like they're too vulgar to talk about it. the farting scene in the bathroom in Right. Oh, classic. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may seem vulgar, but when you realize how long it is sustained, you understand <laughs> the nature of comedy, but then also a drama of embarrassment. If you uh, have someone crying, the audience may want the camera to cut away. If you hold it for an extra two beats, um, it's just the audience feels uncomfortable, and now you've engaged them. I learned that from oh. Keenan. He's actually wow. a great director and a great cynist, who understands the medium, but uses it for comedy, which is why he's so successful. He's a genius and one of the most loving, kind. I've been blessed by, um, I mean, Patty Jenkins is one of the sweetest people. John Favreau, unbelievably kind. Keenan Ivory Wayans and all the Wayans are like family. Dave Chappelle, you know, fantastic. Charlize, one of the most generous and kindest people I know. Christina Ricci, uh, John Malkovich and I are close friends. What My a great human being. Amazing. Um, I'm just I've I've been blessed in
0: this. Been blessed by these people in the industry. I I could I think when it comes to Keenan, a lot of people, and it's the same thing. I'm glad you're really pushing on the fact that yes, comedy is something. Comedy is something that's very complex, and only the right type of people can really tackle these um, comedies, especially Keenan. But Keenan's career is very interesting in the sense that I mean, you go from in living color to doing films and to doing um, parodies to a certain degree, but genius parodies like we we love um the early film he did the the uh, boys in the hood uh parody what was it uh don't Lo- don't be a menace in south be a menace, central be a menace, and, yeah. yeah and we love that film and just just to see the progression of his career i know recently he did the last og um with um um yeah the last og yeah with uh i forget his name uh tracy morgan with tracy morgan and um
2: well, i've also worked with tracy I think two times. So um, Trace is a great guy, and uh, yeah, they brought in um, Keenan as a showrunner. And uh, yeah. in fact, I was going to shoot it, and then um, had another film to do. But um, uh, and then Keenan and I are talking about doing another project together. So he's still very much of my life, and he's great people.
0: Awesome, awesome. That's amazing. And and it's again, it's. It's a film that's going to continue in terms in people's minds and hearts, and, and they're going to want to watch and rewatch that film. I know many of people who are anticipating that sequel for many, many years now, uh, whether it's going to happen uh, or not. Who uh, knows?
2: No, not White Chick sequel story. Who knows what's going to yeah. happen? But who knows? Whatever, whether they're, they're The great people, have, it's again, talking about relationships. Everybody wants to re- relive to the perfect. The, fil- mm-hmm. the film is virtually a perfect comedy. Um, you know maybe we just leave it at that I yeah agree. it's one of those i, those I, words, I agree will yeah, do what they're gonna do but um if there's a sequel it would be great uh you know can i tell my terry's crew story now just about please, absolutely please.
0: please just let him yeah. up <laughs> now of all the people
2: i've talked about the person i may love the most i don't know is terry cruz and really? terry was virtually unknown at the time and mm-hmm. um we he, he was anxious for the role they brought him up to do this this part and the dance sequence. Um, <laughs> the intention of that was they were going to start Terry out and then bring in a body double because hey, he's not a professional dancer. But <laughs> That's Terry, the funny part. Uh, Terry, Terry saw his opportunity, and uh, <laughs> okay. Terry worked as a bouncer, a football player. Terry's also a gifted musician. He's, he he draws. There's a, there's very few things Terry can't yeah. do. You do said a, that mm. that you met him at the comedy
1: store. Did you ever try comedy? He was a bouncer. Um,
2: he's now one of the great comic actors of all time, but I've never saw him on stage, no, but yeah. he, was, he was a bouncer. I mean, he's he's the strongest guy you've ever I mean, Exactly. Uh, and <laughs> so anyway, so we, we go up there, we're doing this dance sequence, and Terry's meant to do a couple of moves, and we're going to bring him, pull him out. we got five cameras, got about, about 150 extra. Because he basically
0: just drugged himself in the scene, by the way. He basically just took something that, that got him very happy and excited, and, and you but see handled that Well, that was in the,
2: in the narrative, right, but not, right. not really. Of course, he was... Uh, you know, just, just, just acting. And and then yeah. he began to dance and people got, uh, you know, it was like a movie imitating life, imitating a movie. Mm. We all got so excited by how good he was. That <laughs> he was like whispering in my ear, uh, saying, point the camera, point the camera towards you. And soon I had all the cameras, were meant to be in the background. Everything was pointing at Terry. Oh, the Terry. background, just like in a movie, all stopped dancing outside the shot. Everybody was looking at Terry and he was letting loose with that mad dance. He stopped. <laughs> And there was dead silence. Now, you presume that that's catastrophic for an actor. Yeah,
1: for the actor, and, yeah.
2: And then a huge standing ovation that went off for well, about 15 minutes. Oh, and uh, his career was made. It was yeah. one of the magical moments. I bet I had a film to that. And when he sings, "Making My Back Home in the car, where he improvised all those little head moves. Yeah. Genius. So a great guy, great success. And this film launched him. And still, people like uh, they do with the weigh-ins, asking him about making my way back home, you know, right. over and over and over again. But hey, when you do something that's part of the culture, and I shot it, I'm happy to say I shot yeah, that. Yeah, you,
0: you shot that, you were there. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: the Half-Baked and uh, Monster and water boy and uh, You Can Do It, all that sort of stuff. I shot it, I brought it into our culture for good or yeah. bad, and I'm proud And that's of- why we're, yes, we're excited, man. that's what excites oh, us now.
0: Before talking about decoding Annie Parker and last call, Stephen, uh, I want to just talk about lastly, we didn't really dive into the Waterboy. Waterboy is obviously an iconic comedy. And like you said, I'm glad you said it and not you shot it. It's your, it's your shots. It's your choices as a DP. Um, So tell us about the Waterboy. What what was the Waterboy like?
2: Well, same production company that worked with uh, uh, Adam's uh, other films, um, including... um uh the Is, wedding it, singer. It, yeah. did his
0: production company yeah, at this it, point or it,
2: not it, not quite not um, yet his production company had a, a vanity credit i mean they were they were certainly one of the product really it was uh, bob simon's universal providing the oh, okay. so it's still um, early. and um but this time he had insisted on a certain amount of autonomy because he had some success and um <laughs> th- there was some minor disputes about how the film was going to be shot we all felt that the football was actually very important the studio, I think, felt that, oh, it's just about farcical comedy. Don't worry about the football. But um, what Adam understood, and Frank Karachi, the director, and I guess me to a greater or lesser degree, was that uh, if we're going to create a comedy as opposed to farce, you've got to have an effective narrative that works, which mm. means dramatic construct has to work. And it can't just be jokes. Um, so mm-hmm. we made sure that the football actually had a narrative. It had a beginning, okay. a middle to end. And we brought in... Uh, a great stunt coordinator, and we shot the football uh, to actually work as football. Um, and we got some right. real football coaches and real football players to come wow. in and help us with that photography um, and with our construction of those sequences. Um, we also got great cast. I mean, what was great about Adam and everyone else that understood was that. Great actors very often are great comedians. John uh, Malkovich, who I just worked with on Last Call, that one is one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. He's got a wonderful comic sense. Really? you? I mean... You have uh, more... no idea. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. Wow. Um, and particularly in front of the camera, there's a sequence in Last Call where he's doing an autopsy, which uh, brings a house down everywhere it's shown in the world. Um, we showed it in Spain recently, where we won another award for the film. And when that sequence is going, and he's cutting up the body and... Uh, people are fainting behind him. Uh, they, people, they, you, you couldn't hear the dialogue because the audience was laughing. And in Brazil, when they talked about the film The uh, Last Call being Oscar-worthy, uh, one of the sequences they cited, we say Oscar. I think of comedy was how brilliantly funny John Malkovich's sequence was. So great actors, very often comedy, and Kathy Bates in um, Waterboy. Waterboy, probably funny. I remember I'd worked with Kathy before on Dolores Claiborne, and there was nothing funny in Dolores Claiborne. But now <laughs> Kathy was in this, and she was. I think she had just done Misery, sure, or maybe a couple of years before. Well, but, just won an Oscar for Misery, you know, think, to point yeah, out as a dramatic right, actress. Yeah. Right. And now she's playing this broad, brilliant comic <laughs> role. Now, you may just see it as comedy, but damn, she did a great and great actress. As an actress. As great yeah. comic sense. So uh, that and Farusa Ball, because another great actress, Adam, now people recognize because of Uncut Gems that Adam, as well as a comedian, and again, a great human being, great human being, is also a great dramatic actor. When I first noticed him was on Rain Over Me. Oh, About, Rain Over Me. Oh my Lord. You're Terrific. Music. I never that's seen Adam like that. I was like, well, okay, and, that's and, an actor. And, and, you punch, change punch, it. punch struck love. He was great. Yeah. Exactly. And, but Uncut Gems is an absolute masterpiece. Oh, yeah. Adam's great. So now you've got great actor Adam Sandler playing opposite. Great actress Kathy Bates. Great right. actress right. Alicia right. Uh, what a cast we had and the film worked not because it was cheap jokes or right. uh, good comic writing, but great actors doing good comedy. And, good
0: and point. Frank Karasi, he went on to have an amazing career as well as a, as a comedy director. Um, I'm curious as to, um, I mean, he obviously went on to work with Adam a lot in, in the, in the future years, but, um, it kind of seems like that was a great partnership. I wonder why, I wonder why you two didn't make more films or haven't made more films yet. Um, it's, it's
2: Frank Karachi. Yeah. Well, well, one, because I'm no longer a cinematographer, of course, which is, which is right. a big factor. Um, and then secondly, because uh, I had become conscious at that point in my career that I, first I was the prince of darkness shooting dark dramas in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, then it was, uh, the prince of independent films with Noah Baumbach films. Then mm-hmm. along came Bulletproof. And now people are offering me action films. I also did the big action sequences. On SWAT and Murder uh, uh, mm-hmm. 600, which was essentially an action film, and then the action stuff on Blade. So I was becoming the Whoa. action guy. And then Blade 2. And then um, suddenly I had done like four comedies in a row. And uh, my agent was saying, Hey, Steven, I got this comedy, that comedy. I said, What mm-hmm. about the action? They go, Well, you're the comedy guy. Wow. Uh, what about the important independence? Mm-hmm. You're the comedy guy. And oh, uh, so I realized the way it works in Hollywood is when you have success. That's what you want. So I made a a conscious decision, um, um, which didn't please everybody who I'd worked with previously, that I was not going to do comedies uh, for uh, a while. Um, Same thing when I was doing SWAT, um, I had 26 cameras and we were crashing airplanes and we blew up (laughs) the front of the Islay County Library and I got a call to do a little tiny film in Florida, um, you know, for basically what my per diem was rather than my, my fees. But I read the script and I loved it. And uh, Charlize rang me on the phone and asked me to do it. And uh, Clark Peterson and Patty, and they all pushed me very hard. And I said, you know, this is why I started in film was to do important pieces of art. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll go off and do this uh, even after doing um, SWAT. And of course, glad that I did change my life. Wow. I mean, yeah. So culminate the culmination of all of your
0: experiences from theater to writing to being a dp for so many years and now you it seems like you've fallen in love with directing more than anything at this point writing of your in career it. um currently you know what let's talk about decoding annie parker you said we had helen hunt there you had aaron paul rashida jones alice eve um, and you're the director at this point not only are you the director but now you have a dp of your own to work with
2: um right. And What's that experience
0: subject. like to, to, for decoding Annie Parker? Well, it,
2: it, was, it was interesting because um, I've been writing for theater for 30 years and directing actors. <laughs> so I was known um, as a director of actors in theater, which, which helps mm-hmm. get that cast. But, and I've been doing punch-up for various screenplays, generally comedy punch-ups or dialogue punch-ups. Mm-hmm. because That's what I was known for in theater. And then Clark Peterson who was the producer of um, Monster, pushed me very hard saying, Stephen, uh, I directed commercials and shorts in the UK but you have the skill set. Why don't you want to direct more? I said, because I don't want to wait seven years between projects. Uh, and Clark said, no, uh, no, no, I, we, can, we can do better than that. Um, uh, you know, because your writing's good. So I wrote Decoding, Decoding Andy Parker. It was shortlisted for the Blacklist, which is a known thing in, in the uh, in Los Angeles for best script, on best unproduced scripts. Right. Um, it got in the hands of some agencies and suddenly the magical thing, we get what's called heat on a script. So yeah. all the major agencies decided the script was great. And um, every actor on the planet uh, was approaching us about being in the film. So they, rather than nice. saying, these are the actors I have to get to raise the money, I had my pick. So I said, OK, the actors <sighs> I admire the most is Oscar winning Helen Hunt, Two time Oscar nominee Samantha Morton. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Paul, who I just seen in Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad 2013, uh, yeah. Richard Schiff, who I love from uh, The West Wing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Alice Eve, who you mentioned, um, who mm-hmm. I just seen uh, in a film uh, that I just thought she was fantastic in. Um, uh, basically, everybody I want. Oh, uh, Mike um, um You know, uh, it was just like the dream cast. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and they all, every one of them wanted to do the film. I, I, Everyone, wow. I'll be in it. So now I put them together, a bit of improv, a bit of writing. Uh, and I got my gaffer to be my cinematographer. So I could still have some input. And um, sure. uh, we made the film um, on an abandoned uh, juvenile detention facility where we wow. rebuilt the sets. Um, got wow. a grant from the state of California, uh, raised money, uh, four or five million and made the film and did two things. Not only did we do a theatrical release, because it was about important discoveries to do with breast cancer, we yep. got permission from E1, the enormous distributor, to take the film out as a, uh, as a fundraiser first, and we raised uh, several million for breast cancer research, beautiful. changed lives, save lives, uh, and got, got to actually meet the subject of the film. Mary-Claire yep. King was the important research scientist who discovered all this. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very moving. She actually got to meet the character she played opposite. and uh, oh, I love Seattle crime. We won the Seattle Film Festival uh, for Best Actress. Uh, I got the Sloan Award at the Hamptons Film Festival. Uh, we won in Milan. We uh, I was the keynote speaker at the American Cancer Society. It was... Uh, Supreme Court legislation came up to do with women getting um, free checks for this type of virulent breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, our case won, so women wow. now have... Uh, free uh, breast cancer examinations thanks She's to part of our film. Mary Claire King went on to get President Obama gave her the uh, President's Medal for Science. She's so uh, for, for an independent film, kind of uh, an, an incredible, <laughs> ways. An incredible run. And then right away um, the agency came back to me and said, what else you got? Ah! Uh, there's this play that I wrote about the last days of Dylan Thomas. Yeah, um, you called. know, I'd love to get it to some actors. I don't know if they'll respond or not. Um, next thing I know, I'm on a plane going to uh, a city, I will not want to say where it is, where John Malkovich uh, had invited me to lunch, So, uh, and he made me lunch. So I sat down, oh, and John, wow. I talked about uh, his character for six hours, and then at the end he said, yeah, I, I want to do this. I said, great. i met John That's Malkovich. That's amazing. It's and uh, on a plane to London where I had one actor of mine named Risa Farns, who... Uh, was, of course, play Spike in Nani Hill, but is a great uh, actor, um, classically trained. um, And uh, I wanted him, but he's very tall and Dylan Thomas is very short and he's Welsh. Uh He was worried about whether he'd be good at portraying it. And I talked to him, talked about the character and he agreed. And then uh, Tony Hale, I think is a great actor. I got him. So again, uh, everybody wanted. Now I'm doing a TV series in Greece. I'm writing it now. And again, every actor we're reaching out to will like say we're going to get a feature in Spain that I've written which uh, is going to production Goodness. next year. Every actor there we're getting who we want. So that's amazing. I, some people have rough careers. Um, I've had obstacles to overcome, but uh, I have really been very fortunate in being in the right place at the right time, but most of all working with really remarkable uh, people. We didn't even talk about John of John Favreau. Yeah. And John's effort to get me on elf when I was shooting elsewhere. Oh, um, no. yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it was just uh, I'm, maybe
0: maybe he'll call for the Mandalorian. I don't know, maybe he'll say oh, hey. We,
2: we talked about we talked about the Mandalorian uh, John and I were we're both directing now. So again, right. if I was still a cinematographer, I would I, I still get calls, um, probably 10 calls a month or something about shooting wow. stuff. And I my age keeps saying, No, 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 he's in shot for seven years, sorry. But then, of course, I did come back to do a favor for my friend on Magic City, uh, like Gabriel Beristain, who just shot um, Black Widow for Marvel. And Gabby said, look out, well, I need a second DP, You're the only person I trust, would you? And of course, Gabby and I go back to the Water for Chocolate days. I said, all right, Gabby, mm-hmm. I'll do it. Uh, if I can direct a little, which they let me do. And, um, um, and then I shot Magic City. Next thing I know, the American Society of Cinematographers rang me up and you know, I was hoping it was gonna pass under the radar. It says, well, usually, no one will know and I'll still be regarded as a director right. and then it's all over the trades uh, nominees for the American Society of Cinematographer for outstanding cinematography Steve Bernstein from Magic City oh shit <laughs> so of- do you feel like
0: in this current stage of your career and your life you're obviously in love with directing and, you want, and you're want you going to keep pursuing that and we we, I, I, we would like to leave a little section for you to let us know what you're doing next but if you can but um, do you feel like as far as DP work is that behind you for the most part, or until the right project comes around that you absolutely love that you want to shoot? Or-
2: I I honestly don't think that. Um, look, I've worked on um, a couple hundred commercials, God knows how many music videos. Uh, God probably does only know how many music videos. Um, uh, second unit, first unit, studio films, independent films, uh, bad directors, mostly good directors. I've <laughs> shot. Uh, I shot in India with Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif. The only time they worked together outside the time they were in North Arabia. Wow. I was in, 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 Rajasthan, India for nearly a year. Um, I've shot in Thailand. Um, I've shot um, in South America, shot in Mexico, of course. Wow. Um, I've shot on boats in planes. I've blown things up, shot on the biggest <laughs> down stages in the world. Um, you know, why <laughs> would <laughs> okay. I, why would I, 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 I there's nothing new. Uh, For me, in terms of cinematography, I love it. And I love the art of it. But most of all, I love writing and speaking to directors and realizing the whole vision, which includes Mm -hmm. cinematography. I love working with great cinematographers. I love working with great production designers. I love working with great actors. But to be able to have those leadership qualities, which I've learned from all these other greats that I've mentioned, to facilitate other artists, to provide that vision, to get them to combine their creative imaginations uh, in a single direction and produce something greater than the sum of its parts, there's nothing more satisfying than being a writer-director.
0: I I can vouch for that personally. I, I absolutely can. You know, as indie filmmakers, we all come from the school of, of wearing many hats, especially when you don't have any money and you have to wear many hats and yep. to make our films, right? So we absolutely know that. And I've had my hand at cinematography, at gaffing, at acting, as much as I don't, don't like being in front of the camera, as, as everything. <laughs> but I've fallen in love with with writing, directing. And, and when you find that niche and you find that that place you love to to work out of, it's it's tough for you to go back to something else or to go into something else as much as uh, somebody may try to convince you. So I can yeah. honestly
2: vouch for that. I still, I, look, I talk about cameras on Clubhouse and I've got a, as you know, I got an Instagram page. Uh, I don't Bernstein.
0: think I have you on Clubhouse, Steven. I may have to add you on that. I, oh I, I, yeah. yeah.
2: I'm, I'm on Clubhouse. I speak there every day um, and I'm on Instagram, Steve Bernstein, director writer, where mm-hmm. I take sequences from films and I do an analysis. It could be a cinematography analysis, could be a directing analysis. I love that. It editing. So every day I'm trying to give back to people right. say, Hey, as a director, as a cinematographer, as an editor, mm-hmm. uh, here's uh, what I've observed. I'll show the clip and then I'll do an analysis They write it or talk it. And people, I mean, it's not huge, but like 40 or 40, 50, 40, 40,000 followers and uh, all film people. So I feel I'm yeah. doing something for our community.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I think there's just the, there's something beautiful about our community and the way it's able to appreciate that language of film. And I mean, with me and cinematography and the people that I talk to, we love that language, but we can appreciate the actor side, the directing side, and we can appreciate all these sides coming together. And I can see that right now in your kind of creative stage, it's it's wanting to be at the wheel of that whole creative process, but it's not letting go of the camera. It's not letting go of the acting because mm. it's this coming together that's just- Yeah, I mean, and, and and by being able to know these different
2: languages, yeah. By knowing a language of composition, for example, and Absolutely. knowing that the, uh, that how to give notes and adjustments to an actor, and knowing how to write a script, and understanding um, color science to do with design, I can set up a sequence and I can say, you know what, I'm gonna be like Kurosawa. And rather than being on the eyes of the actor, which uh, makes the performance very powerful, I'll intentionally obscure the eyes and shoot a three-quarter back shot. So we see the back ear and a little part of the face and we'll leave the audience wondering what the actor is emoting rather than (laughs) showing it, which engages the audience. It's a combination of my skills as a cinematographer and as a director and as a writer. And then at some key moment, I can decide to have the actor spin and then turn towards camera. I take a little eye light, pick out the eyes. And at that moment, I can have them say some lines. So now I've created suspense and then an emotional payoff. And then by lighting the eyes, creating an emotional climax using the camera, but then also saying to the actor at this point, pause, pause makes the audience lean forward because they're waiting for what you're gonna say, hold it for a long time because I know understand how editing works and now say the line just as so the light picks out your eyes. Cinematography, editing, directing, composition, Um, All those things combined, that's what a director does. And I've had the great good fortune of having been both a cinematographer, uh, a writer, a director, a producer. I've edited things. I understand now the whole process. And I realize that if you don't understand the whole process, you're you're handicapped. Mm, That's beautiful. And I hate
1: to do this to you guys, but it's that last segment of the episode where we put Steve on the hot seat. Oh, oh no! Knows.
2: I, know, a, I know about that. There being a hot seat. I think I've already embarrassed myself. No, not at all. Beautiful. I've no, no, so no. many bridges. I, I, my, my publicist is gonna have. Uh, <laughs> no, no, don't worry about, about no, no, that. No, this may be totally this may be
1: before. the coolest hot seat you've ever been in. This is this is our segment. We call it word of the day. So. It's fun. We we do it. We like to expand our vocabulary as creatives, as communicators, as people trying to share ideas and and expand our vocabulary. Um, In the segment, I I just want to give you a word, but I'm wondering if I can give you something that you're not gonna know, Uh, and I want to see if you can guess the definition of said word. Again, fun expanding vocabulary. I I, I will do my best. And we're looking at your hands, so you
2: won't Google anything. Okay. I know.
1: So the word I have for you, Steve, is quiescent. Can you define quiescent? I don't even know. Quiescence,
2: um, I would imagine, is the distillation of bigger ideas into its central energies
1: or meaning. Whoa, that's pretty. That's that's a very interesting and oddly specific answer that's (laughs) not right. (laughs) Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Curveball. The definition I have for quiescent is a state or a period of inactivity or dormancy.
2: Hmm. I may have confused it with quintessence, but um, I, yeah, I, 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 I've I embarrassed myself, fair enough. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no there, no, must, there a must, a must be a reason. I will, I will go into a moment of quiescence to understand how there's a word in the well, English because I don't know, but i It's usually a reason why you picked that word.
1: Yeah, no, no, quiescent. Uh, so a state or a period of inactivity and dormancy. I think it's really interesting uh, to choose this for you because I don't think you really give that quiescence to anybody in their daily lives especially experience your films experiencing the comedies in a state and period where we've all been sitting at home wondering what's tomorrow going to look like stuck at home I mean you've made our days more enjoyable and that's why we keep revisiting these films and that's why we're revisiting your new films because we've all understood cinema to just take us out of what we're currently in and, and raise us to this higher state of enjoyment and community and connection, be it through the filmmaking society or through the society that we just have at home who can enjoy the passive act of just watching movies and, and thinking of new ideas. So yeah, thank you for making quiescence go out of date and you know, slowly fade away into the ether.
2: <laughs> you are, people- you are very into the thin ether of our existence. Thank you very much for that <laughs> kind outro, uh, more than I, I deserve the only thing i would say to anybody listening yes is, please any uh,
0: advice you have for any film
2: is take risks yes um, every everything that uh i've just listed in, in this long and very career the the what i have achieved i achieved of not being fearless but overcoming my considerable fears oh and yeah taking oh, yeah. risks and each time i took a risk sometimes i would fail spectacularly but uh-huh. i would learn something from it about my nature or about other people's natures. But sometimes I would succeed by seizing an opportunity that was available to me, and I wouldn't even realize what the opportunity was until I was already uh, involved with it, had absorbed its energy, and was being catapulted forward. So take risks, Uh, I don't expect anyone to be fearless, but overcome your fear, uh, trust in uh, an uncertain future. If you fail, you learn, and as you succeed, you realize that all the things you wanted aren't really that valuable anyway. Hey. Mm,
0: absolutely. You heard it here, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we had the amazing Stephen Bernstein on the podcast today. I mean, sharing a plethora of knowledge for yes, thank uh, you filmmakers. So much. Thank oh, you, course. Stephen, for joining us. Um, and if... You're ever in the Texas, New Mexico region, you rest assured you have a crew here with Tower Productions good for any everyone. of your films. And even if you're not in this area and you want us in the UK, just give us a call. We'll go. It's, it's <laughs> not a problem. You know. <laughs> uh, but and thank
2: you. Texas thank is you. not succeeding from the union or any of that sort of thing. No, well, sure. you know, no, I guess you. we'll
0: find out. But but with the tax 15 incentives,
1: minutes. That, we'll let you know. <laughs> but
0: with the tax incentives we get in Texas for film, I hope they do because this is yeah, just the tax incentives here are ridiculous.
2: Oh, are they good <laughs> but, or bad? Not good.
0: They're they're bad. They're bad. uh I mean, comparatively, because New Mexico is right there, and they have the best yeah. tax incentives out there,
2: and they're fantastic. Well, Governor McConaughey apparently is going to have fantastic tax Yeah. Was, oh. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So one I can mean, only hope. One can, one only, can hope. only absolutely.
0: absolutely. Okay,
2: now, by the way, it cuts both ways. If you guys want uh, help, assistance, guides, you you sound like you you are uh, doing everything you want, but uh, I'm here um uh, to Thank provide you. whatever assistance I can. Now you're the sort of Thank people you. that I Uh, admire because you're really independent filmmakers going out there and making films of your own volition in your own way. So uh, it's admirable. So um, I uh, I'm rooting for you. All right. Thank you so much. That that that. means the world to us.
0: It definitely means the world to us. Uh, the rest of our crew, which listens to the podcast as well, it'll we mean the world to them. Um, yeah. And we're we're gearing up to do quite a slate of films in in the the oh, yeah. second half of this year and the first half of next year. Well, so bring me
2: down. I'll I'll, be, I'll I'll shoot something for you as your oh sh- absolutely thank you. So I'll grow. I'll, you guys get scarves and I'll grow a beard. We'll have it. Together. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. We, more we more have time. to do it. That. I love it.
0: That we have to do it. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being hey, on the podcast. Thank you for being That's our fun. friend, man. And and we'll we'll stay in touch. And uh, if you're listening, thank you for listening. Make sure to spread the word on the podcast for your fellow filmmakers artists all around and we will catch you next time on the tower cast podcast
2: take care everybody thank you guys